You're listening to episode 89 of the Mud Stories podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are never, ever alone. I'm so glad you're here joining me for another episode of Mud Stories. Today, our guest is Doris Liu, and this episode is being released on Wednesday, May 11th, 2016, a timely episode because Doris has some news to share with us at the end of this podcast episode that I think is going to make a lot more sense when you hear it, but I just... I long for us to come around her and be a community and pray for her. If you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday of this week that it's released, it's going to make a lot more sense to you. If not, I hope to have an update on Doris sometime in the near future. And so look for that. In the meantime, here is Doris's story. I am so privileged to welcome Doris Liu to the show. She is a wife of 19 years to her husband, Marty. She's a mom to two boys, a Christ follower, and a graduate of UC Berkeley School of Music. She's a piano teacher, a first grade Sunday school teacher, and previous homeschooler who has been living with chronic kidney disease. Doris, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I was so glad to hear of your story and what you're doing uh, when your husband emailed me and shared that with me. And I'm so thankful you said yes, and you're here. And I can't wait to encourage those people who are joining us today who are dealing with hardship that they just can't seem to make any sense of. And I think you're going to help lead us through that. And I'm so thankful. Um, But before we get to all of that, would you take a moment and introduce us to yourself and your family and where you live and some something you love to do. Something I love to do. Or okay. something you're loving lately, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, lots of different things. Um, but yeah, so I'm Doris. I, uh, you know, about my family. I live out um, here in Oakland, California, uh, which, by the way, has some of the best foods in the country. I have to just have to share that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I am a music major. You you mentioned that. I have a couple of students that I adore. What do I love doing? You know, lately I've been getting into the whole meal service, you know, like Blue Apron or HelloFresh uh-huh. where they, yeah, and that's just been a lot of fun. And it's just nice to have people just deliver you stuff already and introduce me to new recipe ideas that I would never have thought of. So that's been really fun. Well, tell me more about that because I've heard those services advertised dinner time and planning what's for dinner. That's always so hard. And if I'm not on it in the morning or like that week before, if I haven't planned everything out, it's so stressful Mm -hmm. at three or four o'clock, like, ah, what yeah. are we having for dinner? So yep. tell me what your experiences have been. They they just deliver it to you? Or yeah, what? they just deliver it to you. And, you know, you can sign up to have, you know, two-person meals or four-person four meals. And so it's you sign up the, the week before. You tell them what meals you want. They give you a choice of maybe five and you pick three or whatever the plan is. And it's delivered to you on the day you assign it. 
and then all the ingredients are there and you don't have to measure. There's no waste um, that comes with beautiful recipe cards. And so we're trying out new things that you know, we never, never would have, you know, tried before. So like yesterday, it's pork tenderloin and um, it's topped with bacon and what else was it? Well, grapes. I had to cook the grapes and I had never done that before. What? So, Cooking yeah, the grapes? So, yeah, you pan fry some grapes um, just for like a minute or two and then you throw it on top at the end, you know, along with the bacon and escarole and other things going on in there. Wow. But So it's like, wow, I would never have thought of this. And and so it turned out, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a culinary adventure. You know, my younger son loved it. My older son loved everything but the grapes because he said, you know, mom, <laughs> next time don't cook grapes. <laughs> <laughs> How old are your boys? Um, they just turned 14 and 17. So okay. the one is now almost driving. I mean, he is driving with a permit. So. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember the first time I drove in the car with my son. It was so <laughs> nerve wracking. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's less and less nerve wracking every time. But he's he's doing really well. And, you know, so we're not uh, we're in Oakland and we're not ready to go into San Francisco yet because that's just kind of a crazy traffic yeah. mess. Yeah, so. there's a lot of freeways in California, no matter where we are. Okay. And uh, it's a whole different thing driving. I did not learn to drive on freeways at first mm. because where I lived wasn't so metropolitan. And so it's different for our kids learning in these you know, urban areas to drive on these big, massive freeways. I know you have them where you are too. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Yes, definitely. We have something in Oakland we call the maze and that's where, you know, a whole bunch of freeways come together and, you know, you got to cut over real quickly and it's just, you know, so we did that last weekend and it was a lot of, wait, okay, now, wait, 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 you know, go, okay, now. (laughs) So it was kind of, but you know, we're here, I'm here talking to you. So it's all good. I love it. Now you've been a piano teacher. Do your students come to your house to take lessons or do you go to them? I, they come to me. Yeah. And there was a time when um, a lot of the students were uh, classmates of my children. So I would not only pick up my son, I would pick them up and they would come home with me and I would give them a snack and then we'd have lesson. And I'd say, you know, I am a full service piano teacher. So, uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun because, and they come and, and we all kind of take turns while the rest are outside playing. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of love that kind of atmosphere because I just feel like you know, I, I just love being around kids. Well, I think music lessons are something that are so helpful for our kids, but it is sure hard to find good music teachers, no matter what instrument you're doing. So thank you in advance yeah. for all that you're doing for kids. Cause yeah. I know like, I will never forget my piano teacher, you know, mm-hmm. they just make an yeah. impact on you. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah. Well, Doris, you have been going through quite the journey. I would love if you would take us back and tell us a little bit of what life looked like for you and what your faith journey had been in your life prior to your diagnosis of kidney disease. Yeah. So I was diagnosed about um, maybe three years ago, but you know, it wasn't like, boom, you have kidney disease and suddenly my life changed. It was really kind of a more of a gradual thing. Um, And that's because Kidney disease is, is uh, it's called chronic kidney disease, CKD. Um, and so it kind of sneaks up on you. And um, 
and I was not even diagnosed by my doctors, but I was diagnosed by uh, when I applied for life insurance. And so a nurse had actually come to my house um, to finish part of the, that was all part of the application process. Um, and she took, um, you know, urine sample, and I don't think she took a blood sample. But anyway, so some of those numbers came out, and they said, I'm sorry, we can't cover you. And so that was the beginning of that. And I was just shocked. And I just thought, what? You know, I've always been healthy. Because you had no idea. I had no idea. It doesn't run in my family. I had no symptoms. Um, looking back now, I kind of see, you know, well, you know, I, I had high blood pressure. I had osteopenia. I think that's all a result of the kidney disease. But none of my doctors had diagnosed that. Um, but so it was then that was kind of the beginning of it. And they said, well, you know, of course, they can't diagnose me. They're not my doctor. But they said, go and talk to your doctor. And um, if you think there's a reason to appeal, go ahead and appeal. Um, so I went to my doctor and he said, oh, you know, it's um, your blood pressure is a little bit high and you have too much protein in your urine, which means your kidneys are not doing so well, but not a problem. We will change your blood pressure medication and that should fix it. So even in the beginning, it didn't seem like it was that serious. So it wasn't like one big sudden diagnosis. Mm. Um, so on the outside, I just seemed like a pretty healthy person. Um, so but anyway, he sent um, for some more labs and came back and, uh, and then he prescribed new medication, but it didn't fix it. And so he sent me to a nephrologist who mm. also at first said, you know, I don't think you're, uh, you know, we'll fix this. Uh, more labs, more tests. You're, it turned out I was much more serious than anybody else had thought. So it really kind of came as a gradual, like, is this serious? What do I have? Because you're, it seems like it's not that bad. And yet, you know, as tests come came back, um, it turned out to be a lot more serious than anyone thought. Um, so I think it was that one appointment with my nephrologist, that's a kidney doctor, who said, yeah, okay, so you have something called CKD, and it's all a blur now, but, you know, you just talked about how we have to figure out what's going on with you, and when the time comes, we'll work on getting you a transplant. And I think that was the point where mm. it just felt like, transplant? What? You know, surgery? I... I, so I was just kind of, I, I went into shock and that, that was hard. Well, I can't even imagine. And yeah, it, yeah. what had life looked like for you before that? And especially your journey of faith throughout your life, you know? Yeah. So um, before that, you know, I was just being a stay-at-home mom. Um, I was starting to get a little bit tired, but I just thought, you know, I remember hitting 40. And there was this actually one particular memory that I have of um, like being in the shower and at at after um, taking a shower and you, you know, squeegee the glass doors. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I remember feeling like, wow, this is really hard. All of a sudden, I just felt weak. And my first thought wasn't what's wrong with me. My first thought was, man, aging sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow, hitting 40. And I feel right. Like I know, kidding, you know, um, looking back now, I know it's it wasn't that it was my kidney disease. Um, but you know, at the time, I just thought, you know, all these things were uh, so physically, um, I wasn't, I was just starting to feel weary and tired. But mm -hmm. on the whole, I was okay, running around being a mom, um, teaching piano, some doing stuff at church. As far as my faith, you know, I, it's funny, because I um, was going through a period where I just felt like, blah, 
you know, in my faith where it just, I just felt like I wasn't very excited about God, but I was very faithful at church and I still loved teaching Sunday school and being part of the worship ministry. But as far as like, I didn't really like reading the Bible or going to um, prayer. Um, but I also remember thinking, you know, as my kids were getting older uh, and saying to God, like, God, I just, I think I want a sense of purpose. I feel like I don't have a sense of purpose or a cause. Or I feel like, you know, as my kids are getting older and they're going to be uh, leaving the house in, in five or ten years or so, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I just, I wanted to be more exciting. So yeah. I, I guess he answered. <laughs> so, yeah. Not the way I wanted, but okay. Not the way you wanted. Yeah. 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 All right. So Give us an example of what your kidney function percentages mm -hmm. were and the seriousness of it, because you mentioned when you heard the word transplant, it really did catch you by surprise. And I'm guessing it would catch any of us by surprise. Who yeah. who thinks in their life they're ever going to hear, yeah. hear that? I mean, we do have two kidneys and yet both of them experiencing this chronic situation. Um, yeah. Um, so I think when I was first diagnosed, my kidney function was maybe about 30%. Uh, so kidneys are amazing. You can actually have about 60%. Well, it's something, it's something called GFR where they measure your filtration rate basically, but anything 60 and above is good. So in some ways you could have uh, kidneys functioning at 60% and that is normal. And that's because everybody has two when you only need one. I see. Uh, for whatever reason, God gave us two. You only need one. Um, but even when they're functioning at, you know, uh, 60%, they're fine. But anyway, mine was down to 30. And as at each appointment, after each lab draw, it just kept on dropping and dropping, and dropping. And I, by that time, was just doing a whole lot of reading and researching. And I knew that once it dropped below 20, or some literature might say 15, that you can go get evaluated for a transplant. Um, and actually a transplant, a lot of doctors are saying is the first resort. You ideally would get that before you ever start dialysis. It's not a last resort. It's really uh, be proactive, go get the transplant um, before dialysis. So that's what we were aiming for. Um, Did they have any idea why the percentages were going down? Um, well, they think that because CKD is caused by lots of different things. Okay. For me, uh, for, for most people, the vast majority, it's either diabetes or high blood pressure. Okay. For me, it was, they think, some, something called um, IgA nephropathy. And it just, for whatever reason, it's a random kidney disease um, where my kidneys have trouble processing the IgA protein, something like that. So Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Who would have known? Yeah. Yeah. I never even heard that term before. And so. Uh, so yeah. were they encouraging you to think of maybe ideas about transplant options or transplant donors at that time, like early? Yeah. Well, because, you know, the, the so my first doctor actually said, um, no, no, you know, you're still doing well. You're healthy. Why get a transplant before you need one? Um, but uh, I had done enough research to know that uh, getting on the transplant list, it's a long, long, long wait mm -hmm. because there are just way more people who need it than than there are kidneys available. So you really want to get on that list as soon as possible. So that was the first sign that I thought, mm, maybe I didn't have the best 
nephrologist. Um, so, so, and it turned out I, so I went and got second opinion and I ended up um, with this fabulous uh, nephro- nephrologist at UCSF, um, which turned out to be a good thing because my first doctor also misdiagnosed me with this other kidney disease. Um, and I can go into that a little bit because that came along with some really bad news. But anyway, so yeah, my second nephrologist said, yes, go get evaluated. You want to get on that wait list and accrue time because um, it's a long wait. And especially here in the Bay Area, I think it's like seven years or so before a kidney becomes available. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So you you want to be as proactive as you can. But um, that wait list is for a deceased donor. So you're just waiting for, you know, in America, there's like 100,000 more than that, uh, people who need kidneys, but really only about 25, 30,000 people get it. So uh, it's a long way. And so they always encourage you, if you can, bypass the deceased donor wait list and go get yourself a living donor. Oh. And so, yeah, kidneys are just one of those organs that you can donate even while you're living. Um, so not only is it um, you don't have to wait, it's a better kidney. They last twice as long as deceased donors' kidneys. Wow. Well, I know from being a nurse that kidneys are very sensitive to change and they're sensitive mm-hmm. to pressure, which is mm-hmm. why elevated blood pressure does kidney damage to people who are undiagnosed with high blood pressure. I know mm-hmm. you had mentioned that, but um, your story was touching to me in this sense because I have a special place in my heart for this issue because in episode 30, I interviewed Tara Storch, whose daughter Taylor passed away Mm. when she was 14 years old from a skiing Mm. accident. And Taylor's Mm. life saved five people um, because of organ donation. And Tara and her husband, Todd, have started an organization called Taylor's Gift, raising awareness for, you know, organ donation in the world and for people to sign up on the national donor list. And so I think when you're speaking about the deceased donor list, that's the list you're talking about, right? The one where we put the dot on our driver's license and sign up there. And so if you want to hear that story and you're listening today, it's a very touching story. You can find it at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 30. And Tara's amazing. Um, But when we transition to the living donor idea, Doris, you're the expert on this. So take us take mm-hmm. us through what that looked like to bypass that list and mm-hmm. move toward the pursuit of a living donor. Because I imagine mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily an easy thing. No, no, it's not an easy thing. Um, and yet, as I read more and get involved with, you know, the, the Kidney Foundation, and I meet these people, and I read about these living donors, I, I am so amazed by them, because, you know, why, you know, any anybody would think, well, why would you give a kidney, a body part to somebody else, you know, unless it's your, your spouse or so, a loved one. Um, but even that is really, really, really tough to do. Um, but there are people out there who just give kidneys altruistically, you know, as a good Samaritan donor. But, but anyway, the biggest myth out there is that you have to be like this perfect DNA match. And so people ask me, Doris, why don't you have these drives, you know, where we do the cheek swabs and everybody submits their DNA so we could find that perfect DNA soulmate for you. (laughs) Um, It's actually not like that. You know, I I think they, I guess they do that for leukemia and, you know, blood, bone marrow drive and all of that. But for kidneys, anyone who's healthy 
and informed about the whole process is a good candidate. And I think it used to be that you had to be like this perfect DNA match, but the anti-rejection medication now has gotten so good that you can get a kidney from someone who isn't, you know, that closely matched and make it work. Wow. It's really, really amazing. You know, you still get kind of these funky side effects, but that's nothing compared to, you know, having your life back and having healthy kidneys again. So, all right. So what did it look like for you as you began this journey of pursuing a living donor? Tell me, because I know you've had some ups and downs. So, Oh, lots and ups, lots of ups and lots of downs. Um, So right off the bat, you know, I shared it with my family. And so I had a family member who actually came forward to get tested. And we thought this was wonderful. I was so, so, so grateful. And he said, of course, I would do this for you. And and, um, he went through months and months of testing. Um, So about, you know, maybe four months in, he was medically cleared. Um, And then so that was the time for my turn for my what they call workup to make sure that I was healthy enough for, um, for the surgery. And then just kind of out of the blue, some issues came up and he withdrew his offer. And so that was just a huge blow. And I was, you know, I was very grateful that he had even uh, done sacrificed as much as he did, but it was hard. I felt like I had suddenly just lost my second chance at life. So Mm. that was rough. You know, we had prayed so much through this whole process, and he had rallied his whole church to pray for him and for me. And so, you know, sometimes you pray and you just get the sense God is leading you down this road. And so he's opening up all the doors. He's giving you a sense of peace. So this must be Mm. where he's taking you. And then all of a sudden at the end of the road, he takes it away. And I just remember feeling so just kind of confused, like, God, what are you doing? And and I just didn't really get it. And I was very discouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not how you'd imagined it to go. No, not at all. And sometimes we think we know how God should work. Right. You know? <laughs> so when he doesn't like God. We're like, we've got the plan. <laughs> go right on ahead and do this, this, and this. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You told me, that, right? So, um oh. But the thing is that week I got a note, I got a card in the mail from one of the deaconesses at our church and, and, and it said, you know, don't worry, we're praying for you. And uh, of course, my first thought was, how did she know? Because it was exactly what I needed to hear. But she didn't know. And, and Marty had not told her that I had just lost this donor. Um, so I just thought, you know, was this God showing up just to give me that reminder that that he was still there and he was not going to abandon me? Hmm. Um and then I was very fortunate to have a second donor. So at this point, you know, some people knew, not a whole lot of people knew about my need. And then I was very fortunate to have another donor step forward. She actually was a friend of a friend, so she didn't even know me. She just kind of had heard about my need. Um, but she, you know, but she had lost her best friend to leukemia a couple of years back. And, you know, after um, she was out there doing the cheek swabs and trying to find a donor and just couldn't. Um, So, you know, I'm sure that played a big part in it. But anyway, she heard about my case and she said, you know what? Tell Doris, this is my blood type. Is it the same? I want to donate. I want to get tested. And so she, she, I call her my angel donor because, you know, she, she just kind of came out of nowhere and uh, was a godsend. Um, So same thing. She went through months and months of testing, was medically cleared, and then my turn. And then we had gotten as far as setting 
a, a tentative surgery date, talked to the surgeon, and then she said, great, you know, uh, I, I have this work conference. Can we put it off one month? Doctor said, no problem. And then in that month, she she withdrew her offer. You know, something came up and mm. and um, and I it was just one of those, what? You know, I cannot believe here we are five, six months later and the exact same thing happened. And and again, you know, she was just a lovely, godly woman who even before she started the whole testing process, she went to all the key people in her life and had them pray for her. And they helped her, guided her through her decision and affirmed her her decision. And so there was just like, again, God, you guided us down this path again. Um, and so how is it that you, again, took it away at the last minute? Like, I here I am at the finish line. And then you say, oh, surprise, you know, we're not doing a half marathon, we're doing a full marathon, you know, so, um, so God just took that away. And then so it was at that point, I just started to kind of ask God some really tough questions, because they say, God, why? Why do we even pray? I mean, what is the point? Mm. Is this just an exercise you would have us go through? But really, you're just going to do what you're going to do anyway. Uh, so, you know, and there were moments where I just wanted to say, God, are you even there? Mm -hmm. You know, are, are we just all here on earth? Everybody fending for himself. And, and so that was hard. So hard. Uh, yeah, that was hard faith-wise, and it was hard physically, too, because really, I was getting sick, and that was a, around the time um, when the doctor said, you know, you, you probably should start dialysis soon because you're starting to feel pretty bad. You're nauseous. I have headaches. I have what I call fuzzy brain, and that's from, like, um, all the toxins that build up in your mm. mind. So people with kidney failure tend to be kind of... Um, have trouble concentrating. And so that was happening to me. And so physically, I was just tired and emotionally just weary. I just felt like, God, I keep losing donors. But also, it's just all the the ultrasounds and MRIs and EKG and chest x-ray and the injections. And I was taking a whole lot of pills. And I'm about to start dialysis, you know. But the hardest part was the unknown. Mm. I said, God, when does this end? You know, how I, I don't see the finish line up until now. I felt like I was running a marathon. It was hard. It was tiring. But there was a finish line to work towards because yeah. I was, had a donor. But now I had no more donors. So now what? You know, four out of five people on the wait list they never make it to surgery. You know, by the time a kidney becomes available, they're either too sick or, or they're gone. And mm. so I thought, God, what is my story going to be? So that, that was a really rough moment. That's so uh, hard. Yeah, that, that was hard. That was probably the hardest moment. Uh, but you know, God, the week after I had really just lost that donor, um, I got this phone call and that just came out of the blue and it was from someone I knew, but really not that well. Um, I see her, you know, maybe once a year at a gathering and she said, Doris, I heard that you have kidney disease. You know, I have no idea what your donor situation is like, but I've been thinking about this a long time and I'd really like to get tested to be a donor for you. Mm. So that just came like, I, and of course I was shocked you know not just at her crazy generosity she didn't even know me that well but of course the timing of it like how did 
this come right at the moment where I had just lost my last donor. And, and really, and even up until then, you know, nobody had come forward to get tested, to offer to get tested. And we weren't expecting it because we, we had not widely shared the news yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we were. But, you know, circumstances can change because they kind of often have mm-hmm. with my donors and, and all the health news, the diagnosis and misdiagnosis. Um, and so this donor ultimately did withdrew her offer as well. But but I think it, at the time, it was enough of a reminder for me uh, from God that he was saying, I promised you that I would not abandon you. I would not forsake you. I know all this just must seem a little bit crazy, but you are not forgotten. I am here with you. You know, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. So mm-hmm. um, that was kind of a moment where I just felt like, okay, all right. Okay, God, you know, I, I'm just so tired. And you are just such a mysterious God. I don't get you. I don't get how you work. You don't answer our prayers the way we ask. But I guess you have never left me. Um, so that was a turning point for me where I just learned to like, let go. And then getting into the part about just then I really had lost all my donors. And that was the point where I gave in and I said, okay, I, I needed to get out there and just say, everybody, I have kidney disease, and I need a donor. And mm. it was just the hardest thing. And and I just felt like, you know, my husband had been nudging me to do that. Like, we just need to get out there and share the story. And, um, and I just kept fighting it, you know, and I told God, like, God, I'm not ready. I don't, you know, I don't like being needy, you know, mm-hmm. the, the pastors at church know, the prayer team at church knows that that's good enough. Um, but God kept saying, nope. You just need to get out there um, and just share your need. And uh, so that was one of the hardest things, of course. I mean, asking for someone to give up a body part. That doesn't happen every day. No. Doris, how do you think your faith has changed and grown and matured because you lost three donors? Because that journey looks a lot different than it would have had the first one worked and you know, gone through. What did you learn in your walk with God that maybe somebody today who is in that place of losing that donor, not literally, but like whatever circumstance they're facing, it just feels hopeless. Like the bottom just got dropped out, the news that came, whatever it is they're facing. You really who are listening, whatever you're facing today, you feel like the hope is dropped out and you just wonder why even pray? Why even like, is God even there at all? Share with us what you learned because you lost those three donors. Yeah. You know, so what I've been telling people a lot is, you know, had God answered my prayers the first time, um, the way we had asked, I would have missed out on all this other stuff that he was trying to show me. Um, And so one of the biggest lessons um, and how this affects my faith is learning that circumstances never defines how much God loves me. Mm. You know, it's never. So, you know, with my my situation, you know, not just with the donors, but my first nephrologist told me that I had this genetic form of the disease and so that my children could very possibly have the disease as well. You oh, know. No. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he said, no, go talk to the pediatrician, go get them life insurance, look out for these symptoms, you know. And so that's when I got the second opinion turned out. Oh, that was a mistake. You know, I don't have that particular 
uh, kidney disease. Um, so my kids were fine. I was still affected, but circumstances just keep on changing. At one point I had lesions on my kidneys and then a second ultrasound showed that they were getting bigger. So more tests. And then it turned out, well, actually they're, we think they're harmless. So you're okay. Uh, and then I had cysts and then later on, well, I think they're okay. And then, but other news turned out to be not so good. And you know, like I need a transplant and all that. Oh so, my, up and yeah, down, up and down. Yeah, it wow. Was, it was really up and down. And there was a point where I remember being hit with some bad news. And my first thought was like, oh, no, here we go again. You know, what next? Just stay calm and just stay angered in God, you know, because I felt like God was, I just could always go to him. His word was always there. It always says, the Lord is my light, my shield, my rock, my anchor, mm -hmm. my stronghold. And when I prayed, you know, there was always eventually, you know, not right away, sense of peace. Um, but I just noticed that circumstances have a way of just kind of changing all the time. You just never know what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And then I remember also thinking, you know, but when things turn out to be good, like when I was misdiagnosed and that my kids didn't have the disease, you know, my first thought was, yay, praise God, God is good. Um, and then I kind of thought, you know, that's kind of an odd response. I mean, I know everybody says that and it's the appropriate response uh, because all blessings come from above. But there was a part of me that thought, well, what if I had not been misdiagnosed is God then not good I mean is there mm. am I in some way equating my circumstances to how much God loves me you know is good news mean good God you know what do you tell mm. the parent whose child doesn't get better or what do you tell the 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 childless couple or the trying to get pregnant um and then somebody you know another couple gets pregnant they say yay praise god is good you know i can't help but cringe for them a little bit mm -hmm. like yeah but god is good for you but mm -hmm. is he good for me i mean is he really just a good god and so i really had to ask myself you know do i really believe that this god is who he says um in the bible um that he is inherently good, that he will always have me in his care, that his protection over me never ends, regardless of my circumstances. And so I, I had to really ask myself that. And I, you know, I came to believe, okay, I'm, I'm going to choose to believe that because it means when times are good, I can thank God. But when times are bad, it doesn't mean that God has stopped being good because he is inherently good and that he is working, even though he's invisible, even though he's intangible, I have to believe that he has not forgotten me. And I think, you know, with the with what happened um, after losing the first two donors and how he surprised me and showed up unexpectedly, God is good after all. And that sometimes in the silence, I think God chooses to just allow us to ask the hard questions to allow us to have some doubt because I really believe that it's in the presence of doubt that faith grows because mm. all of a sudden you're at this point where you you have to believe you have to choose you either choose to believe even though you don't quite see it God is not quite you know tangible and yet right now you're at this point where you just kind of have to believe and let's see where it goes and then when God does show up 
that faith muscle has gotten a little bit stronger. And so the next time you become less and less dependent on the circumstances around you mm. uh, for evidence of God's goodness. And then you just choose to believe, okay, the more I know God and his sovereignty and his goodness, even when I don't see it, the more I know that he is that and he is there, then the less I need to understand or be in control of my situation. It is such a choice, right? Yeah, it's a choice. And you walk down that road and all of a sudden you find yourself like, oh, God does show up after all. And then you're just, your faith is that much stronger because of it. And although part of me, you know, feels like, okay, so you're strengthening my faith muscle. <laughs> Do you have something like really, really horrible in store for me? So but, you're like, you know, I'm a bodybuilder now. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's enough. Can we just stop now? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, okay. So the third donor withdrew her offer. Mm-hmm. Your faith is being strengthened. Mm -hmm. Then what? So dialysis, you know, everybody says, well, how long can you do dialysis, you know? And uh, so every time I ask my doctor that they, you know, my doctor will say, oh, well, I've known people who have done it for 20 years, you know, but, um, but I know he's just being um, very optimistic and trying not to worry me. So, you know, he's being nice, but you know, I do the research and I do the reading and um, it's, it's just so different for everyone. So I thought, yeah, for some people, they last two years, some 20, some um, you know, whatever. Uh, it just kind of depends how your health and all the other factors. Um, so, but yeah, it's a big unknown. Um, but uh, that it was at that point where I really just kind of cast the net way out there and we announced it at our church and I went on Facebook. And, and by that time, I just like, okay, God, all right, I give up. I give up trying to fight this um, need to look like I, you know, can fix myself and have find a solution. But okay, I will just go whatever, you know, even being on this podcast, I felt like, <laughs> oh, I can't do this. But you know, I'm at this point where I am saying, God, here's your story, mm -hmm. I will put it out there. And whoever is blessed by it, you know, that's, that's Absolutely. for you to do. And it's not my it's not my story. So, so that's fine. And so God is just, uh, I think, introducing a new freedom um, in me because of that. So how did this affect your relationships, your marriage, your friendships, uh, this suffering yeah. and adversity that you've walked through, and also just in the hardship of dialysis and the practicalities of tiredness and all of that? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so dialysis, uh, dialysis is rough. I do it every day. Um, there's two, you know, most people think of dialysis, you're going to a center, you sit there in the chair for three, four, five hours, and, you know, you get poked with a needle and blood is pumped in and out of you and filtered through this gigantic machine and you come out feeling horrible. So for me, it's not like that. I actually do it every day um, at night when I'm sleeping. So I actually have this machine next to my bed. Um, and I have this catheter that they put in surgically kind of in my belly area. It's called peritoneum area, the, the belly area. And it just sits there and it draws out toxins. So anyway, that's how dialysis works for me. It's called peritoneal dialysis. Okay. And are yeah. different people candidates for that type versus the other type? Yeah. Uh, you know, for whatever reason... We here in America tend to do the hemodialysis, what most people are familiar with. But in most other countries, they do peritoneal because it's a way more gentler way of doing it. But if 
if you're not as dexterous, if you're older, if you have trouble remembering all the different steps that you have to take to be sterile and all that, then you're probably not the best candidate. But so while I sleep and, you know, it's it's okay. Sometimes there's some cramping. It's not the most comfortable. Um, But, you know, during the day, I feel pretty well. Sometimes I have to my doctor will say, well, nighttime dialysis is is not enough. And so we need to do some dialysis during the day. And so, you know, I could either do it with the machine or I can do it um, manually where you you have that medical pole um, and you hang a bag of bag of um, dialysis solution and um, so you just sit there for maybe half hour and so sometimes I do that kind of throughout the day um, depending on what, what my doctor tells me um, but I think that you know the cramping um, some of the other symptoms um, I, I don't have much appetite you know that's just highly annoying but it's manageable I think where it gets hard is I, I feel tired and I feel like that affects my relationship over time and has affected yeah. my relationship with my kids because I feel like I'm not there to play ball with them, you know. And when, when I hear them, I sometimes overhear them saying, Mom is sleeping again. You know, it mm-hmm. just it makes me a little bit sad. You know, and over time I notice, you know, my younger one especially is very active. He's my soccer player. And so I notice he's just coming to me less and less to ask me, like, Mom, come out and shoot shoot hoops with me or you know, he's always trying to get me to use to always try to get me out there and do yeah. stuff. But well, you're not able to be as active right now. No, so yeah. that makes me sad. Um, so, but for the most part, you know, people are ask, always asking me, well, how are your kids taking this? You know, actually, for the most part, they're doing okay. Um, and I think because at home, you know, we, we try. And I think I'm just kind of wired to not stress out too much. And I just kind of take it as it comes. And I just, I cope by doing a whole lot of researching and reading. Um, and I empower myself with a lot of information. Um, but as far as relationships where I think it does get hard is um, with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think maybe we're one of those couples that people think, gosh, they're so perfect or, you know, we lead worship together. And, um, but we're very open also. We try to be um, that, you know, we're really, we're wired so differently Early on when we told our pastor about my kidney news, you know, one of the first things she said was, um, you know, it might be a good idea to go out and get some um, couples counseling. And, you know, and I think she understood. And and it's true that, you know, we were about to enter what was going to be a really rough season in our lives. And so how do we navigate our way through that in a way that's healthy and that brings us together and not divide us? Because that that can so easily happen because we are wired so differently. We approach life differently. We handle crises differently. You know, if it weren't for him, I would not never in a zillion years be on this podcast. <laughs> Um, you know, a big well, thank you to Marty for reaching out. <laughs> Yay. I, well, what, you know, it helped because he said, oh, you have to meet Jackie. You will love her. And I do. I just think Aww. like, oh, I could go and hang out at Starbucks with you anytime. Let's do so. it. Let's do it. I'm <laughs> so. from Visalia, which is the Central Valley. So ah. that's not too far from Oakland. Well, come to Oakland. We have really good food here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will guarantee you the next time I'm up there, I will look you up for sure. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was hard. And uh Oh, and going out to speak at different churches, you know, as we were casting out like wide the net and and I started calling, you know, some of the uh, different congregations I've been part of. Um, and that was not something I would have done before. But Marty had been, you know, really nudging me to do that. 
kind of giving me space, but also just kind of pushing at the same time. And so, you know, there were times where I said, stop it. I don't want to, you know, and he said, okay, write your blog. I have a blog also where I'm writing about all this. He goes, you need to do this more regularly. You know, you need to have a blog every Tuesday because that's when your readers are expecting it. And I said, no, no, no. I just, I have nothing to share. The story He's your agent. I love my it. agent. I said, you know, the story of my kidney life is I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. I have I have no control over anything right now. There's no new news. I'm just waiting for a donor. So, um, but anyway, so relationally, you know, um, and plus just the stuff of marriage, you know, we, we, I'll load the dishwasher and he has to come along and rearrange the dishwasher or, you know, uh, you, we have different ideas of when the gas tank is full in the car and why didn't you (laughs) fill it? You know, those kinds of things. Um, and, and then on top of that, there's just, family stuff right there's yes you know moving mom into assisted living and and blah 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 all of that it's just the stuff of life it's the it's stuff mud. of life yeah it's mud that's right, right. yes yep it mud. is yeah. we all have mud we all have mud we all have mud well some new developments have happened mm-hmm. and i want you to catch us up on what's going on because although your third donor fell through mm-hmm. there's a new development yes so tell us about what's happening yes so I'm fast forwarding here. Actually, I think we went through about eight donors. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, I have, well, let me tell you this. About half of them, I know who they are because they came and they said, I want to donate for you. And they, you know, called the transplant center. And then the transplant center say, will say, well, we have, you know, three other donors. And I say, I have no idea who they are. So, you know, as we have kind of shared the news, you know, I think in all, there have been about eight or nine donors that have come through. Half of them I know who they are. Half of them I don't. So I'm just so amazed. But anyway, this last people are so generous. People are so generous, and and I know some of them are people who don't even know me that well, which just blows me away. Incredible. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but this last donor, he's um, somebody I, I can't say who because it's up to him to reveal himself um right. but uh, in my blog i refer to him as superman because uh, <laughs> he i said he just must be super healthy because it's a very <laughs> exhaustive um health screening um and he might be the one to ultimately save the girl you know on the track from the oncoming train you know so he's my hero right um so anyway, he was medically cleared, and um, so he is able to donate his kidney. Now, it turns out, actually, he's not blood compatible. His, his uh, kidney could not physically um, come into my body because uh, I would reject him. Um, okay. So we do this thing called um, paired exchange. It's basically a giant swap. So mm. um, we... Like a swap meet. It's a swap meet, Yes. <laughs> What's your kidney like? It, it's my friend's kidney. Why don't so basically you, you got a credit sort of. And, yeah. And, oh, yeah. that is, that's brilliant actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's this national database and he's my ticket into that national database. So now mm. with his gift of um, kidney donation, I can take somebody else who's donating on behalf of his or her family. And so that's, that's going to happen next Thursday. And so thank you so much for accommodating my schedule because I know Marty got to you oh. and said, okay, she's getting her transplant, you know. No, when he when he told me that you had a surgery date for May 12th, yeah. I was like, okay, 
you know, normally I record, people listening probably don't know this, but normally I record about four weeks ahead before I release an episode because I take time to edit and all of that. And then prior to talking to someone, I've, you know, looked them up and looked into what their story is or read their book entirely. And so it's a long process, but I wanted to champion this event. And I just wanted our community to come alongside you in prayer and support and good thoughts and hopes and dreams for what's going to be happening to you May 12th, because I just want the whole thing to be covered in prayer. Um, I know it's been a long journey for you. And so, yes, May 12th, what Yes. What's the plan? What's the schedule? And yeah, how can we pray for you? Oh, gosh. Um, we'll pray that my body will not reject the kidney. So it's actually the big swab. We're part of a 10-way chain. So five donors, five recipients. Mm. Um, so Superman, his kidney is flying to the East Coast somewhere. <laughs> um, and wow. the actual kidney that's coming into my physical body is coming from somebody local female and that's about all I know because that's okay are allowed to tell me and so um but I'm glad it's local because you know it doesn't have to kind of sit in an ice pack for a couple of hours but you know right and um sometimes what happens then is you get what's called sleepy kidney and that's when you know kidneys just kind of don't like being cold and so they take they're very sensitive yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I guess you would know that yeah um so but I think in my case it's literally just going from one room over to the next room and I'll be there. And so Thursday I check in at 5.30. I know the usual, you know, no eating, no drinking, yes. all of that. Yeah, you know. Um, kidney transplants are one of the most um, successful surgeries, so I'm really not too worried. Um, I think it's I think it's all the after the anti-rejection medication that worries mm-hmm. me a little bit, but that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll uh, worry about that when we get there. But um, yeah, I looking, you know, so we can pray that, you know, my body will take it and that nobody in the 10 way chain gets sick. So if anybody gets sick or backs out, the whole chain falls apart. Um, Mm. So we want that to not happen. Um, And just, you know, for my family to do well, for me to, to, you know, they'll be, they're old enough that they can be on their own you know, for a day or two, we have people checking in on them. So, you know, we pray. So I wrote on my prayer request blog, I said, okay, please pray that they'll remember to feed the dogs and apply sunscreen <laughs> and still remember to eat something green while I'm gone. You know, so. <laughs> oh, Doris, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to catch up with you after surgery and we'll, we'll get everybody an update on what happened and how okay. everything went. And we will be, you know, coming alongside you in heart and spirit, really all 10 people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's join together and cover everybody in prayer and rejoice with the circumstances that brought all of you together. Is there any possibility in the future you might be able to know who it was or meet one another? That's up to the donor. You know, they, they my transplant coordinator, I saw her on Monday, she said, you know, I always tell everybody, just decide after, you know, give a good couple of weeks or whatever. Um, and you can, you know, you can write a letter and just have the transplant coordinator pass that along, but it's totally up to them whether or not they want to reveal themselves. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, well, Doris, what is one little piece of advice you might give to the person who's sitting at the virtual table with us today, who is facing something chronic, something that's ongoing. Maybe they, Mm -hmm. their hope has dropped 
uh, and they they just could use one last piece of wisdom from from your heart to theirs. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, it's hard to just say one, but one quick one is just um, to open up to your community and just ask, just make your need known, uh, mm-hmm. because you'd be surprised how many people out there uh, are going through something. And just you know, sometimes we feel like our testimony has to be perfectly wrapped in a nice, happy ending before we can share it. And I think that's not the case. I mean, I think it's great to see how God comes through for you, but sometimes it's in the sharing while you're still in the storm that there is just so much um, encouragement that you get and you give. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I shared about, um, when I shared about how God, are you even there? And why do we pray? If you're just going to do what you're going to do. And I had one woman who came to me and she said, you know, I really, that part really, um, resonated with me because years and years ago, she lost her son. Um, I think as a child. And she said, we had so many people praying for him, but he died. And it took me a really long time. But at one point, I just had to ask God, you know, do God, do I, uh, you, you, he, he doesn't, he never did tell me why, but I had to just learn to accept God's sovereignty and say, okay, you are a good God. I don't understand, but I will trust. And so even just to get there. And so that was encouraging for me to hear, you know, because Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm still learning and I, okay, God's sovereignty, learning to accept that, you know, and that only happens as you begin to understand he is good. He is wise. He does not ever forget you. Um, And so the more you know that, the less you need to understand the why and to be in control of your own circumstances. I love that. Such an encouragement to our hearts today. And don't you think when people are given a chance to love in that way and they're given a chance when you do share, they have the the chance to um, offer and give and so many of us want to do that. We just don't know where the need is. And we would yeah. be depriving them of their yes. joy and blessing of giving that support yeah. and giving that love and care when we withhold our story. So, yes, yes. I love yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Well, let me just, let's, I want everybody listening, if we'll just agree in prayer together before you go. Mm-hmm. I want to pray over you yeah. and cover you in that. Lord Jesus, thank you for Doris, for her life, for her family, for how she loves you, for how she's championing your message that you are good and you are with us. Your love transcends our circumstances and whatever it is we're facing today, whatever chronic situation or condition, you are still good even though we can't see it. And so we pray, Lord, that first our hearts would know and be reassured of that through your word and through the relationships we have with other people who love you. And secondly, we just pray for Doris and for this awesome, amazing chain of people, five recipients, five donors, that you would come alongside, strengthen their health, strengthen the surgeons, the physicians, the doctors, the nurses, the hospital staff and personnel from admitting and parking lot attendants to the actual person doing the surgery. I just pray, Lord, your blessing would be on all of them, that you would guide their hands, you would direct their steps. You know, we plan our way, but you, oh God, direct our steps and our path that we are to go. And so, Mm-hmm. We thank you for who you are and for all that you're going to do. And we look forward to hearing uh, from Doris the stories of your goodness and greatness that are going to come from the way you're working and moving in her life. Yes. And we thank you and agree together. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, what a joy to talk to you today. We are with you in spirit and uh, stay in touch, okay? I will definitely. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you again for joining us today. And let's keep Doris in our prayers as she undergoes her kidney transplant surgery and also as she recovers from surgery at home this month. And if you're listening in the future, uh, look for updates about Doris's condition and her progress. Uh, I am so thankful that we have a community that will come alongside someone like Doris and champion her message and be encouraged and inspired by all she's learned as she's gone through this muddy experience. You can find all the links that were mentioned in this episode over at the show notes page, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 89, or you can always click the artwork in the podcast app that you're listening to this show. There will be direct links right under that artwork there. Also, as I receive updates from Doris and her family as time goes by, I will be updating her information in the show notes page there. So you can check that out if you're listening in the future. So uh, also, if you have not subscribed to the show, I would love it if you would consider subscribing and even leaving a rating or review. And you must know, I do have some coaching slots available if you need someone to help you through some hard time, someone to talk to, someone to help you process something I would be honored and privileged to do that. And so you can find out more information about working with me as your coach at JackieWatkins.com forward slash coaching. And I can't wait to hear from you. I hope that whatever it is that you're facing today, you would know more than anything that you are so very loved and you are never, ever alone. Have a beautiful day.